The second Sunday of Advent is a fascinating Sunday. We ponder so many beautiful things. We sit here, incredible, glorious music, sing wonderful hymns. We're in our personal lives getting ready for Christmas, putting up Christmas trees and hanging ornaments and planning Christmas parties. And then invariably it happens. Somebody comes into our midst that is quite unwelcome. It happens every second Sunday of Advent. This guy by the name of John, he comes to us and he disrupts everything. He knocks the tree down. He knocks ornaments on the floor and he disrupts and agitates. I'm just trying to prepare you for the second lesson this morning. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I invite you to follow along in your pew Bible, if you dare. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. This is one of the whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight God's path. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized in the river Jordan, confessing their sin. But when he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestors, for I tell you, God is able to, to, uh, from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This is the word of the Lord. While we lived in Washington, D.C., we had... Um, uh, the most interesting uh, dental hygienist. She was a character. I think she went to the uh, Marine School of Dental Hygiene. <clears throat> Every time I went there, I felt like it was going back to boot camp. I could never do anything right. I couldn't floss my teeth right. I couldn't brush them right. I couldn't rinse right. I couldn't do anything right. She had to redo it all over again, and she was a therapist, by the way. Did you know that in your mouth uh, it will show stress, signs of stress? Invariably, when she started to clean my teeth, she would see, I see anxiety and stress in there. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> I couldn't answer. I didn't want to answer because, of course, her hands were in my mouth. And uh, she was devoutly religious, and so invariably she would ask questions about 
this, that, or the other thing in religion. And she'd say, I wish I could get an answer from you about this, that, and the other. And it was feel like that feeling you have, and I maybe, maybe you don't have it, but, but I have it as a minister. When I'm ever on an airplane, I'm sitting next to somebody, and they find out that I'm a minister, and they ask about the second coming of Jesus or something like that. <clears throat> and the only thing I can say is I hope Jesus doesn't come before this plane lands. That's all I care about. Well, I couldn't answer her questions because, of course, and I didn't want to answer her questions because, mercifully, her hands were in my mouth. But she had the most wonderful thing that she did at the end of every uh, session of dental hygiene. She would say to me in a very cheery voice, Okay, Reverend Gensch, you're all detoxed. <laughs> and I would think to myself, isn't that wonderful? 45 minutes and I'm detoxed. I mean, I've been working on this for a lifetime, right? <laughs> 45 minutes, we need to clone this person. We need to put them all out there in the world. We need to put them, I, I was in Washington, D.C. I certainly thought we had to put them at the White House at the time, and we had to put them, we had to put them uh, several stations of detoxing up at uh, Capitol Hill. This would be a wonderful, maybe state houses across the country, detoxing going on all over the place. And, and, and perhaps maybe we could even give this to a, as a Christmas present to our beloved, right? Time to be detoxed, dear. <laughs> that's what our morning scripture lessons are about. And maybe that's what the second Sunday of Advent's about. It's about detoxing. It's about detoxing our lives. The, uh, uh, our scripture lesson from uh, Matthew is certainly about that. Um, have you ever looked at the genealogy of the Gospel of Matthew? It's a really interesting thing to look at. I mean, the, the, all the kings in the genealogy, almost all the kings in the genealogy of the Gospel of Matthew are despicable. They're despicable. They're scumbags. That's what they are. They're terrible people. And so what you get in Isaiah when they talk about a stump is to cut these folk off. It's the most radical detox that you could ever imagine. Cut them off to the point they're dead. They're under the ground. They're, they're, they're just not able to... To, to sprout at all. But then the, the, um, the prophet Isaiah has this wonderful vision, this wonderful radical vision of one who would sprout from the tree of Jesse, from the line of David, a new king who would not judge by, by what he or she hears or what he or she says. In other words, um, this king won't have his cronies for advisors, right? That's not the kind of king he's going to be. He's going to judge from the standpoint of the poor, the outcast. He's going to go to the lowest spots to judge. He's going to spend time there. He's going to do listening sessions with these folk. This is a grand vision of what uh, leadership is in the Bible. It's reversing everything that, we, that we, we've been prone to think about. Well, we don't judge from the top, we judge from the bottom. That's the image that Isaiah has for us. And, 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 to, and, and, and it's a reversal of power structures. That's what it is. It's a reversal of, of the way we understand power to the point that uh, he has this vision of, of the lion laying with the lamb. This is the most wonderful vision of the second Sunday of Advent, perhaps one of the most wonderful visions of the Bible. 
in my study uh, throughout my ministry, um, uh, the fact that the, the, uh, almost the, the very time I was ordained uh, back some 35 years ago, I, I, uh, I got a picture, it was a print of Edward Hicks, The Peaceable Kingdom. <clears throat> he was an early 19th century painter who became a Quaker, a pacifist, abolitionist, and he painted 62 versions of this peaceable kingdom, this vision of the lion and the lamb in Isaiah, and I had it in my study. It was a vision that, uh, that I wanted to keep there, and I left it in my study at New York Avenue Presbyterian Church uh, in, 19, uh, in 2019 when I retired in hopes that it would ooze out, <laughs> in hopes that it would provide a vision for um, a very troubled democracy. And that's what it was at the time that I left. Feels that way even today. A time when we're at each other's throats. A time when violence seems to be the only way that we can settle our scores. A vision of the lion laying with the lamb. But it's more than that. It's a vision of, of reversing power structures so that we actually listen to the poor. We actually listen to the people at the bottom and actually decide things based on that. That's Isaiah's vision. It's a powerful vision. But that's not the end of it for the second Sunday of Advent. We've got to go to the wilderness. We've got to go to this, this, this radical, luminous place, this wilderness. It's a political place, you know, because, because the wilderness was a place that the Romans could not <clears throat> fully colonize. It was not a colonizable place place. That's why John was there. That's why, that's why there were the wilderness wanderings of the ancient Israelites, because you could not colonize the, uh, the wilderness. You could ponder something that was radically new, that was not colonized, that was not co-opted by the power structures of the world. That's what it was. And that's what John was doing. Some scholars say that what John was doing in the, in the baptism was he was taking them, taking them just like the ancient Israelites out into the wilderness, baptizing them in the Jordan so that they can come with a renewed vision back into Israel and ponder what we're called to be and do in an ever new way. And that's what John's vision was about. It was a radical, radical vision of, 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 of decolonizing, detoxing who we are and everything about us. The vision of the second Sunday of Advent is about a detox, a radical detox. Wendy Farley, um, who's uh, one of my spiritual advisors, and um, I never met her, but I've, I've read a lot of her works. We actually talked about her in Sunday school here at Second Presbyterian just a few weeks ago. She talks about spirituality as decolonizing the mind one piece of land at a time. Decolonizing the mind one piece of land at a time. And that's what we do in the wilderness here on the second Sunday of Advent. We talk about decolonizing the self. We talk about different power, way of, way of organizing the world, a different way of looking at the world, looking at the world from the bottom up, and then, and, and then, and then kind of, um, of, of ridding ourselves of, of, of the kinds of hierarchies of power that we see everywhere about us. And we do see them in all places and all times. It's what a sanctuary is about, you know. Because a sanctuary has this great, um, these vaulted ceilings, and they're supposed to remind us of the wilderness. They're supposed to remind us of a, of a place when we can rethink our lives, 
reorient our lives, rethink about how we do go about our lives in the world. That's what this place kind of reminds us of. And then we have um, we have we have the uh, the baptismal font and we have the table. And I love the fact that at Second Presbyterian Church, these things are fixed items in the sanctuary. They're fixed. And so if you came in here in the darkness, you might run into them, right? You can't avoid them. There's a table and there's a font. And they remind us of who we are and what we're called to be in the world. Uh, The font has been called a bath. It's a place where we kind of wash. It's a place where we detox. We only baptize once because we believe that the unconditional love of God only has to be expressed to us once. But we remember our baptism every time we're here. And I love the fact that uh, the pastors of Second Presbyterian Church will, will pour water into the font and remind us of the washing that can happen in our lives. If we would only name them, you know, a very fine theologian once says, whatever you name, you reinscribe in the world. Whatever, whatever you don't name, you reinscribe in the world. So, um, what worship can be about for us is naming all the fears, the, the angers, the, the hatreds, the self hatreds, the stuff that bear down upon the toxic stuff in our lives. Naming them so we could be washed clean of them, we could begin to heal them. We can begin to be a different kind of people. And then we come to the table and we, we um, start to look, look at how we're supposed to reorient our lives. The communion table here, as it is in most places, is a beautiful place. But it reminds us of a radical reorientation of how we share. Of how we share and how we, we partake of the earth. You get a little piece of bread and you get a cup. You, got, you, you don't get more or less than what you need. And that's what we're called to be in the world. We don't need more or less than what we need in the world. It's about a radical reorientation of how we go about sharing. Sharing of our goods, sharing of our lives, sharing of our very beings. Uh, because that's what God has called us to be. It's a beautiful thing to come to this table. And what we do here is eat Jesus. We partake of Jesus in order to become Jesus. So we go to the font, we go to the bath, and we wash, we detox. We come to the table to reorient our lives. We decolonize our lives one piece of land at a time. We don't try to do the whole thing all at once. We can't do that. We do it a little bit at a time, pondering who we are, pondering the fears that keep us from seeing one another as, as, as children of God, as thou's instead of its. The anxieties that keep us down, that keep us self-preoccupied and keep us from extending ourselves uh, to one another. Um, we ponder the hatreds and the self-hatreds, the hatreds that could ex- be expressed in varieties of ways, but the self-hatreds. Most of us do that, you know. We ponder those things and they're toxic. It's the stuff that we need to take to the bath and then bring to the table to be reminded of who we are children of God. We're thou's before one another, and everyone is a thou before us. We're not it's. We're not utilitarian people. We're called to be the kind of people that receive one another as the very grace of God, as a thou, an image of God.
And that's the reorientation that uh, we're called to at this time and place. A radical detox, a radical reorientation so that we can be the beloved community that God envisions for us all. May it be so. Let us pray. Oh God, for the vision of the second Sunday of Advent of the Lion and the Lamb, the vision of um, our baptism that reminds us of uh, who we are and whose we are, the vision of the table that reorients our lives towards who we're called to be in the world and the beloved community in the world. For all of these things, we are thankful. May they be so in our lives. May they reorient us and set us free to be truly human, to be truly your children. In Christ's name, amen.